So we've been doing a sermon series on metaphors for God, and we've been using this book by Rabbi Toba Spitzer called God is Here. So Rabbi Spitzer is a friend of Blue Ocean Church uh, in Boston, Reservoir Church, and so they also did a sermon series on it, so it's kind of a nice way of joining with our other churches, and um, I highly recommend the book. I also really recommend Emily's sermons on God as place, God as rock, and God as fire. So what is a metaphor? Well, a metaphor is a figure speech that puts two unlike words or phrases together. They're not literally applicable to each other, but they have something in common. So one great example that Rabbi Spitzer uses is from the poet Mary Oliver, the metaphor for the dark hug of time. Such a striking way to describe time. Now, Rabbi Spitzer offers her, books, her book to people from different faith backgrounds and also believers and non-believers alike. So our human need for a healthy spirituality is like the common ground, something that we share. Um, now, uh, she also invites followers of Jesus to join with her in looking to the Hebrew Bible, um, which is known in Judaism as the Tanakh and in um, Christianity as the Old Testament. So, we might have different versions. We might have it in different languages. Um, we might read it differently from each other, right? But it's a common ground. It's a common source of faith. Now, I, I often speak about rabbis and the Jewish commentary and midrash on the Hebrew Bible. I'm not Jewish. But I believe that sacred texts cannot be understood apart from the communities that created them. So I read that recently, and I'll say it again. Sacred texts cannot be understood apart from the communities that created them. I appreciate learning about the Bible from Jewish perspectives while acknowledging that there are a great variety of perspectives from within and among any one group of people. But I do believe that when we join together with love, for our neighbors, we begin to see each other in new ways. We, begin, we don't need to erase our differences. We can respect each other. But it's kind of like with a metaphor. When we bring two unlike things together, whether it's words, ideas, or people, we begin to see the world and each other in new ways. Bringing people together is not always easy. Um, too often, our society frames people as like one over the other, us versus them. And these power dynamics in our society are painful and something that we need to work to disrupt. In the youth group, some of the young people um, have shared about some of the ways that when they've joined with their peers who are different from them, they've received harsh words, maybe around their orientation or their ethnicity or their presentation. And I remember once we were talking um, in the youth group about a biblical image. I think I told them it was the lion and the lamb. But um, the biblical image is actually the wolf and the lamb. It's in Isaiah. It says the wolf and the lamb will dwell together, and a little child will lead them. But I remember asking the young people, for a wolf and a lamb to dwell together, who needs to make the bigger change, <laughs> you know? And they all yell, well, the wolf, the wolf, the wolf needs to make the change, right? The wolf needs to make the change. 
So a few years ago, um, a friend of mine posted a metaphor that was sort of shocking to me, and it really captured my attention. They said, some people feel victimized when asked to take their boot off your neck. Yeah. It's striking. Some people feel victimized when asked to take their boot off another person's neck. Who is actually being victimized here? It's just such a vivid metaphor for what happens when oppression is challenged by those who are being oppressed. And I wondered, I thought about that, what, well, if oppression is like a boot on the neck, then what is love? Surely, love of neighbor, love of each other, is something quite the opposite. Love has the power to humble the proud and exalt the humble. It, it brings people together in new or surprising ways, maybe face to face or eye to eye, hand in hand. We can dwell together. So some metaphors like these make us stop in our tracks and think. But others are actually so embedded in our language that we don't even realize we're using them. So one example of this that Rabbi Spitzer gives is this metaphor for God as a big, powerful person. So when I say or when we say, I believe in God or I don't believe in God, I think what we're often saying is, I believe or I don't believe in this powerful metaphor of God as a big, powerful person. But I think that religious folks might not realize that this implied metaphor can sometimes feel to others like a boot on the neck. That being said, many stories in the Bible do reference God or messengers of God as a someone. Okay, so it's like someone who can hear the cry of the poor and the victimized. Someone who gives compassion and mercy. Someone who responds to our suffering. Now, this metaphor for God as a someone goes alongside many other metaphors. And these can include, uh, these metaphors, they help us to understand or see the reality of the Holy One in new ways. So some of these metaphors include God as voice, God as love, eagle, parent, lawgiver, mother hen, water, and God as place, God as rock, God as fire, God as cloud. So the God cloud metaphor is the one that we're going to explore a little more together today. Now, Rabbi Spitzer begins by sharing a helpful scientific uh, description of the formation of clouds. So to all you science nerds out there, <laughs> this one's for you. So NASA describes um, invisible water vapor as being always present in our atmosphere in some amount. So it's always present. We just can't see it. And then when, um, when the temperature cools and the water vapor con uh, saturates it, it condenses in liquid form around small particles in the atmosphere, like sea salt, ice, or dust. So the clouds that we see, they're not water vapor alone. They're water vapor that has attached around the smallest particles in our atmosphere, and then we can see them with our eyes. The temperature, wind, and other conditions will then determine what type of cloud it can become. 
So we've got this invisible, life-sustaining vapor that attaches to small particles and then becomes visible as a cloud. And we can look to the clouds like children, I love this, and describe the shapes that we see in them. And sometimes, like maybe in the earliest morning hours, the cloud comes to us, like a fog or a mist. In the Bible, God is often associated with a cloud. In 1 Kings 8.12, we read, The Lord said he will dwell in thick darkness. The Hebrew word here used is arafel, which means fog, mist, or like the thick darkness, like a cloud. And I think in English, often this kind of darkness is associated with like a fear or threat, right? And honestly, not being able to see can be terrifying, right? Um, but this is where the mystery of the divine light dwells, right in the midst of the thick darkness of fog. In the book of Numbers, Moses uses the image of a cloud when he pleads for God's mercy for his people. So Moses says, the other nations have heard that you, Lord, are in the midst of this people because you, Lord, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them. Now, Moses is using a metaphor, but he's also using God's proper name. yud Hey vav Hey, the Hebrew letters, they're unpronounceable. He uses the, the name twice, and he doesn't just say, hey, the other nations are watching. No, he says the nations have heard that the people of Israel see God eye to eye while the cloud stands over them. Therefore, have mercy, he says. And during this time, while Moses the people were wandering through the desert after their enslavement in Egypt. Um, remember, we're talking about a liberator. God guided them by a pillar of cloud by day and a column of fire by night. The text also says that when they moved from place to place in the wilderness, Moses had a habit of setting up his tent outside the camp of the people. He named his tent. He named his tent the Tent of Meeting. Now, I kind of love that he named his tent. My, my sister had a car uh, when she was younger. She named it Jerry. <laughs> so I just kind of love that Moses named his tent he's moving around in. Um, so in Exodus 33, it says, When Moses entered the tent of meeting, the column of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and speak with Moses. It says the Lord would speak with Moses face to face as a person speaks to their friend. These are metaphors. So in these stories, first, the nations have heard that the people see God eye to eye while the cloud stands over them. And then Moses speaks to God from his tent, like face to face as one would speak with a friend. I mean, talk about two unlike things together. Seeing eye to eye or face to face in the thick darkness of cloud is such a captivating way to describe our relationship with the Holy One. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus is also associated with the divine cloud at three key parts um, the transfiguration, after the resurrection, and then in Revelation. So, the first is the transfiguration. He's praying with his disciples on the mountain, a couple of his disciples. And it says that he was transformed into this bright light. And then there's this misunderstanding among his disciples because Moses and Elijah were there with him. 
and suddenly a cloud comes over them. And it says that they heard a voice. And the voice says, this is my beloved. Listen, listen to him. And they were terrified. Later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the last time he was seen in person, the book of Acts describes Jesus as being taken up in a cloud. And it's kind of funny because the disciples end up staring at the sky and two angels in the form of people come to them and say, hey, why are you looking up like that? Don't you know that he'll come back the way he, claimed, the way he left, which was in a cloud? And then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it says of Jesus, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. So we have these cloudy descriptions being associated with seeing among the people and by Moses and with Jesus. And I kind of love the scientific description of a cloud, that it becomes visible only when the, when the invisible water vapor attaches to sea salt, salt or dust. And, and you are the salt of the earth. Jesus says this in, in the Beatitudes. He's speaking to the merciful and the meek and those who mourn. He's speaking to the peacemakers and the persecuted. He says, you are the salt of the earth, so don't lose your saltiness. The salt of the earth becomes the dwelling place for the divine. One last example, closer to our own time. Um, in the 1960s, Abraham Heschel was a Jewish rabbi, and he joined with a Christian preacher, okay, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and they marched together. They, these two men were very different from each other, but they found a common ground, and they marched with thousands of people, including queer activists like Bernard Rustin and um, Polly Murray. They marched with people for rights, liberty, and justice for black people in America. They marched hand in hand, eye to eye, as one would walk with a friend. Now, in his book, this rabbi, Abraham Heschel, is called In God in Search of Man. And he speaks of this mystic movement when a person reaches towards God. He also speaks of a prophetic moment when God turns to the person. The first is like us looking to the clouds and describing what we see. And the second is the cloud coming to us. The first is dependent on our own initiative and is an event in the life of the person. This is what Abraham Heschel says. And, and, and the second is an event in the life of God. And it depends on the initiative of God. So while we might reach for God, God reaches for us. And this is the divine light and love that can be seen dwelling in the midst of the thick darkness of fog. Now, I think it's fitting that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is so often quoted as saying that darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. And uh, sorry, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And perfect love, we know, drives out fear. So we began with a metaphor for God as a big, powerful person a metaphor that might not be working very well for many of us, especially when used against others like a boot on the neck. But I wonder if the metaphor of a cloud 
might give us a new way of seeing. That when we love God, who is so mysteriously different from us, and when we love our neighbors, who are also mysteriously different from us, then holiness is made visible on earth. And when the thick fog, the deep darkness, the era fell, where the divine light dwells, comes over us, we might begin to see the mysterious other in a new way, with love and respect, eye to eye, face to face, as one might speak to a friend. All right. So I think I mentioned Reservoir Church did a sermon series on this, and um, Ivy Anthony preached, and she had this really interesting insight. She said, clouds obscure things from view while making something that's usually invisible visible. And I kind of love that. So we're going to meditate. This is our time of meditation. So just go ahead and take a breath. Get comfortable in your seat. I'm going to um, ask you to just meditate on a, a few questions today, actually. And I'll, I'll have a quiet moment between them while you meditate. So the first question is, um, what type of cloud um, represents God to you these days? What type of cloud represents God? Fluffy, wispy, foggy, unseen? So take a moment to imagine this God cloud. Now, what do you feel as you approach this cloud or as the cloud approaches you? Now think about the mysterious other neighbors, your neighbors in need. Um, imagine holding love and respect in your heart. What do you feel as you approach your neighbor? And what do you feel as your neighbor approaches you? And remember, perfect love casts out fear. Amen.